exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM.
WDBM East Lansing. Bringing you sports from NBA to NHL to NFL and more. But more importantly, bringing you the full rundown on MSU Spartan Sports. We cover it all. Get us on the phone at 432-3893. And now, the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You are listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap here on the Impact 89FM. Just like always, I'm Scott here with you. Pavel's sitting across from me. Pavel, how's it going? It's going good. You know, next time I'll switch up the seats. Maybe we'll try to change things up rather than the usual routine. No, that's fine with me. I like how it is. I like be- <laughs> like being behind the mic here. All right. So, not- what, sh- what should we talk about? You know, there's there's so much stuff to talk about this week. I was writing my notes, putting the show together, and, I mean, I had to change up my routine because it's the first day of classes again. Back, back on the grind, you know, and everybody, I could see the look in everybody's faces. Everyone was so excited to be back from break and finally taking classes. You know, my principles of coaching class, it's going to be a rough one. <laughs> it's going to be rough. Oh, I'm sure. Three um, exams, four papers. What does she want? What? It's a lot of work for a coaching class. Wow, that that sounds killer. I know. That's terrible. I mean, much much well, harder than... All the poli-sci classes the that I have. A with, journalism major. Yeah, yeah, no joke. And people give comm majors a hard time. He's taking coaching. I'm taking upper-level poli-sci classes that only have exams. Come on, come on. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> no one's excited for classes, I hope. I'm not. I don't I don't know about all of you. Okay, all our engineers no, I are. I am. I'm excited. Okay, don't lie, people. I mean, it's great to see your friends and be back in town, but no one's excited to have to go to class again. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's just me, but I'm already looking forward to the weekend. Mainly because we have a great basketball game at home this Saturday. We've got we play against Illinois men's basketball. 14 and 2 Illinois and we've got a little special presentation around 3:15. So if you're going to the game, it's 4 o'clock tip, but you should get there around 3 o'clock at 3:15 starts the ceremony for Michigan State basketball retiring None other the jersey. Than the sixth man Morris Peterson. Exactly. Jersey retirement. You heard it here first, if you don't know already. Yep. But Morris Peterson, he's in town, play the Pistons Saturday night. So he's going to shoot over to East Lansing around 3 o'clock to get his jersey retired. Joining the likes of Mateen Cleaves, Magic, Scott Skiles, Jay Vincent, Johnny Green, Greg Kelser, Sean Respert. I think that's it. I think think that's it. I think I got them all. I, I know my, my Spartan history. I watched the best moments of Michigan State basketball. And Morris Peterson was part of the Flintstones. Of course. Who I'm expecting Charlie Bell to be put up any time. Absolutely. There. Charlie he's, Bell should be next. He's my favorite Spartan of all time. I mean, played against his younger brother, Brandon, in high school. Got to play against Flint Southwestern Academy. That was always fun. Not really. We, <laughs> But look for that in a couple of years, I would say, to see number 14 go up there. Charlie Bell joining number 42. Mo Pete. Maybe come in. Okay. Well, Alan's joining us here. Alan was just DJing. What's up? What's going on? I know you're a huge sports fan. Yeah, I do okay. What do you think about Morris Peterson being added to the rafters here? He absolutely deserves it. I mean, pretty much all the criteria for getting retired. Player of the year, All-America, national championship, all three. So, even coming off the bench. And an NBA star. And an NBA star. Got that double clutch, one-handed shot. One of the few Spartans to actually excel in the NBA. I mean, 
you look around right now, and there's not too many. Zach Randolph's doing okay, but he's still. And Zach Randolph moves. Yeah. Every, he moves teams uh, more than I don't know what. He's he's not well liked by. Same thing as Jason team. Richardson. Too. Jason Richardson. Zach, I forgot about him. Zach Randolph has a bad rep in the NBA. He's not one of the nicer guys, so that might be why he moves around teams a lot. And Jason Richardson moves around because he is a lot of offense and not as much defense on the court. Right. Right, he's kind of he's fits in a role. Fits in with the Suns, you know. They play a lot of offense, not much defense. <laughs> that is very true. All right, so we have that to look forward to. Yeah, we also play uh, Penn State at Penn State on Wednesday, which could be tough. They're Penn State surprised a few people. They they're playing. They're two and two in the Big Ten right now, but thirteen and four overall. And they beat Purdue. They beat Purdue, but Purdue did not have uh, Robbie Hummel or Chris Kramer in that game. And I think if Purdue did have those two guys, then it'd be a different story. I think Penn State, yes, they're thirteen and four. Yeah, they had a lot of wins in non-conference against, you know, schools you've never heard of, fearly Dickinson. Right. You know, so <laughs> they've beaten us in years past, though. No, absolutely, down. absolutely. It's not going to be oh. a cakewalk, but I think Michigan State has the right team. They have the right mix of guys to go in there and get a big road win. I think they're built for the road this year. Yeah, they're um, the thing about Penn State is they're a little guard heavy. Like they got a. Uh, Pringle and they Pringle have and uh, battle. yeah, and they're both like leading like up in the upper echelon and scoring a big time. But I can't name a big guy. Uh, Andrew Jones, sophomore, six nine, two forty five, and Jamel Cornley, he's six five, two forty. Uh, Cornley averages thirteen point nine a game. Andrew Jones is a big guy; he gets a lot of blocks. Well, and uh, you know, Penn State they've got an inside inside game now. They've got two guys to get it into, and this guy Andrew Jones, he's a guy that played his heart out against Purdue, and that's one of the big reasons they won. Allen's learning fast. Never challenge Pavel on his knowledge of Big Ten basketball. He yeah, watches yeah. more games than anybody that I know. And, I mean, it's impressive. <laughs> you've, you've got dedication there, sir. Now, I, lo- I love this time of year. I, I keep saying it. It's true. It's always great. I love not just the Big Ten matchups we get, but the ACC is just loaded this year. And, I mean, every week they've got a matchup of top five teams, it seems like. I mean, you had Wake Forest knock off North Carolina. I mean that was it was a great game back and forth, and Wake Forest was just able to shut down Tyler Hansbrough in that second half. I think he scored four points, yeah. maybe touched the ball only two times. They just kept the ball away from him, and eventually the guards started fouling out for Carolina. You know, Green went out, but Wake Forest, I I didn't respect them because they didn't really have any big wins. They beat BYU, and that was it. But they look real good. They're fourteen and zero. They're ranked number two in the AP poll. Pittsburgh is still number one. They're they're undefeated. They were number one last week and won. So you can't really take that away from them. Duke's number three. I mean, there's there's your other ACC school. UConn four. North Carolina five. Then there's a great matchup later tonight, starting at nine o'clock. Uh, Oklahoma takes on Texas, and that's that should be a really big just. A big test, and it's huge for the Big 12. You've got Oklahoma, who's only lost one game, and they have Blake Griffin, of course, who we love, and he gets to go up against that Texas team that we've already seen, we already beat. And so that'll be a good good match, good game to see where we stand, kind of, see how they match up against Texas and kind of compare what we did. Then, of course, in the AP, we are ranked number 7. Now, Pavel, you were saying... I have a little list here. I made a little note. Uh, I listed the top seven teams, and I've got a pretty good argument looking at 
the schedule for this week coming up as to why Michigan State, as long as we take care of Penn State and hopefully Illinois at home, we could move up three or four spots by next week. Because number one, Pitt, they have to go to Louisville and play. Louisville is always a tough one on the road, especially in the Big East. Uh, number two, Wake Forest. Yes, they knocked off UNC yesterday, but they have two road games this week at Boston College and at Clemson. Clemson is 14-0. and They're Abs- one of the yeah. few undefeated teams left. Yes. And they just, every year, for the last, what, four years, they've started at least 10-0 and or something like that. It's yeah, just absolutely. ridiculous. I think two years ago they started 17-0 and and still missed the yeah, tournament, yeah, though. Yeah. So they need to need to work on how they finish down the stretch, but... I mean, they are—they're a scary team. The, they've been putting together some good teams the last three years, and it looks like it might finally hold for them. Absolutely, this—this this might be their year to do it, especially since UNC starting out zero and two. Right, so, that's huge. Absolutely, opens the door for someone else like a Clemson <clears throat> yeah. to move up in the conference standings and really go to get a higher seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they play. You were saying they play Wake Forest coming up. Yeah, Wake Forest. You were also saying they don't have to play at North Carolina. Yeah, I was looking at the schedule and it was weird. Uh, you know, just like Michigan State, we don't go to Wisconsin this year, which is a huge help. Wake Forest does not have to go to UNC and have UNC return the favor, so that helps out Wake a lot. And you know, as long as they take care, depending on how they do against Duke and you know a couple of the other teams in the ACC, Wake Forest could have the open door for that ACC championship. For the regular season. Yeah, at least and, for the regular season. that yeah. tournament, the ACC tournament, is my favorite tournament to watch of all of them. I mean, I love watching the Big Ten, but that ACC tournament, I mean, you put all <laughs> those teams together. Yeah. This, there could be four Final Four teams from there. You've got Wake Forest, Duke, North Carolina, and Clemson. I mean, I would watch that if that was the final four. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, you're right. It's like the later rounds of that tournament are like a regional semifinal or oh, a regional yeah. final in the NCAA tournament. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. And then we'll go through the Big Ten standings. Of course, Michigan State's number one. We're three and zero. And the surprising thing is is how Penn, or, uh, Purdue started. They started zero and two, which not very many people saw that coming. I mean, they lost to Penn State. They were out. Robbie Hummel and, and uh, Kramer didn't play, as you mentioned, but. They started off at a rough patch, and that that's huge. They lost to Illinois in Purdue at home, you know, when the students were gone. So, I mean, I think it really helped them being Wisconsin, you know, knocking off Wisconsin from the undefeateds of the conference right. play. It really helped them having the students back, and I think uh, they, I think they'll reel off some wins here and get back in the hunt for the title. Oh, I'm sure they will, and I don't think. Probably the team that wins the Big Ten will probably have around four losses, I would guess. I said five earlier in the season, but then we won at Minnesota. I didn't expect that to happen. So I would guess we'd win it with four losses, probably. Oh, yeah. I'll say three. Yeah, three, three or I'll, four. Without going to Wisconsin, that, yeah. that's an unbelievable. That's, that's, that helps out a lot. Absolutely. Not going to Wisconsin. We haven't won there since 98. Yeah, and Bo Ryan's lost, what, three games there yeah. ever. So it's, yeah. they're tough to beat there. Yeah, that's definitely definitely huge for us. Then there's three teams, Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin are all 3-1 and one in conference play. Illinois is 2-1. So we're only half a game up on those three teams. And, I mean, Minnesota we've already beaten. Wisconsin has to come here. Michigan, we have to go there to play them. We have to go down to Ann Arbor where we don't have a good history. I mean, that that is one of the losses I predicted. I think uh, we might lose at Purdue. The three losses, I think, are all going to come on the road, obviously. I think we'll take care of business at home. Our three losses will be at Michigan, 
at Purdue and at Illinois because I think, yes, we won last year in Champaign, but we have not had a good history in Illinois, just like we don't have a good history in Wisconsin. And to go off what you said about how we'll take care of business at home, the Kansas Jayhawks, defending national champion Kansas Jayhawks, came into town and we beat them 75-62. to And we stayed to listen to their head coach, Bill Self, talk, give his press conference. And he it was the first game that the Izzone was back from break. And he said that that made a huge difference, that this crowd makes it what it is. This is why Michigan State has the fourth longest winning streak, home winning streak in the nation. And, of course, Kansas knows something about that. They're, they've got the second longest home winning streak. But, I mean, having the Izzone back is huge for us. And now now we start Big Ten play. Or We already played Ohio State without the students here, and we were able to beat them earlier in the week, 67-58, and it wasn't really even that close. But beating Kansas, and we were worried about this because nobody really knew what Kansas was going to do. They just beat Tennessee. They're a very young team. I think they start one junior. And their three losses came by... Came you know, by combining maybe 12 points of those three games. So they barely lost those three games. Yeah, and Sharon Collins, their standout guard, he only scored five points in the first half. Granted, he scored 19 in the second, or he scored 20 points in the second half. But we were able to really shut down the rest of them. At the beginning of the game, we were down 9-2, and then we went on a 24-3 to run somewhere around there and just well, never looked back from there. Yeah, Kansas was stuck on 11 points for a long time, I think at least 12 minutes. And, and then they got a free throw. They had a free throw, and then we're stuck on 12 for a little bit too. So they were. it reminded me of last year's game against Indiana because Indiana was just stuck on that one score, and we ended up rattling them, scoring 100 points on them, I think, or 108 or something like that. So... We ended up routing Indiana, and I think Kansas was lucky to get back into it a little bit with a lot of missed free throws by us. Yes, so. yes, our free throw shooting. At the end, we went 26-35, which doesn't sound too bad. It was 75%, but we missed some key ones down the stretch, and they were able to make theirs down the stretch. Kalen Lucas, I predicted it before the Ohio State game that he he would be Big Ten Player of the Week. I thought... He could have gotten Big Ten Player of the Week last week over Raymar. Not to say that Raymar Morgan didn't deserve it, but Kalen came out, scored 20 against Ohio State, 22 against Kansas, and was named Big Ten Player of the Week this week. And he is just—he's been on fire. His shooting is much better, much improved from where he was earlier in the season. And I think that gives him the confidence now to drive the lane to try to create. You know, at the start of that Kansas game, we were watching it. You know, and Kansas was kind of taking it to us. They were dominating the play, and you know Michigan State needed something, and they got back-to-back three-pointers from Kalen Lucas. And that really sparked our offense, and we didn't look back after that. So Kalen Lucas is the quarterback of this team, is the leader, and you know what? I think he's going to be a Big Ten Player of the Year. Oh, I'm, absolutely. I agree. I agree. And Bill Self, once again, he, he had the utmost respect for Kalen Lucas and how he's able to run the team. And he said basically the same exact thing, that he just he is the point guard. He runs this offense. And he only had one assist, but that's because of the defense that Kansas was running. It didn't really open up for the point guard to have many assists because we were going from the wings and attacking their zone different ways. And when he'd make a good pass, 
the last couple games, guys haven't made the shots necessarily. You know, and I, and I just hope that Ken Lucas would be able to stay for three or four years. I would just hope, keep my fingers crossed, because he is NBA potential. And if he can stay a third or fourth year, he could break so many records. Assists in Michigan State history. Assist to turnover assist ratio. To turnover ratio. I mean, he would break some amazing records, and he would be one of the best guards in Michigan State history. His, his number would eventually be in the rafters. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if if he takes this to a national championship, yeah. I, that's pretty much the criteria, I would say. But, I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to talk to him, see what he thinks, but at the beginning of the season... He wouldn't tell you anything, though. He's so oh, I'm humble. Sure. He, oh, I'm sure. He's just like, you know, I'm fa- focused on the next game. He would never talk to you about it. But at the beginning of the season... I predicted that he he'd be the only one who would leave early. I don't think Raymar's there yet. He doesn't have quite the shot and I just I just don't think he's NBA ready yet. And the other guards, none of them have the complete game. But Kalen for the only thing that's holding him back is being only six feet tall. And when you look at it, Chris Paul's only six feet tall. They're the same size. I'm not not saying they're the same player. Chris Paul is. He's been compared to Chris Paul. Paul. I've compared him before. Tom Izzo says he looks like Chris. Or I mean, he his player resembles like. And it Chris does. Paul. But I mean, Chris Paul's a whole another level. That's Absolutely. Not not gonna. But say. then again, Chris Paul only stayed one year at Wake Forest, and you didn't know exactly what you were getting when he came out. You didn't know exactly what you were getting because Wake Forest they were an early exit in the NCAA tournament. They were a high seed. They were not bounced in the second round, I think, but. That team didn't go far, and you didn't really see what Chris Paul could do in big-time games. But yet, he was drafted, and he didn't disappoint. There was a lot of comparisons. I remember it was him and Jarrett Jack, point guard yeah. from Georgia Tech. They were very similar. And you can you can see now that Chris Paul is much better than Jarrett Jack. I don't know. Jarrett Jack's still in the NBA, He's still though. in the NBA. I'm not sure. Is he with the Bobcats? Uh, Somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. Not, he, he has an NBA spot, though. He's playing. Yeah. But yeah, that's... High high praise all around for Kalen Lucas and his playing of late. You know, I just wanted to get, make one more point about this Penn State game. What would worry me is these free throws because if you remember last year, the two ugly ugly games that Michigan State played, Iowa at Iowa, where we scored thirty six points. Yeah, and at Penn State, those two games, uh, there was a huge free throw discrepancy. I mean. They shot so many free throws, and we maybe shot 10. So, you know, we need to be careful in fouls, and we need to take care of business at the line because that's what's really going to kill us, and especially on the road. You know, we were lucky we were at home, and the crowd carried us against Kansas because Kansas was storming back in that second half. So if you put those the same team out there on the road and, you know, a dangerous Penn State team, you know... That league could just get flipped, and Penn State will take it. I'm sure. So we need to be careful. Definitely. One last thing about about these games, the Kansas game. Now, I never like to blame referees or officials for a game for the outcome of the game. I don't. I don't like doing it. I mean, refs are human; they make mistakes. It's it's the nature of the game. Everybody has to realize that. But this game was just the second half of this game was terrible to watch. I'm sure anybody watching that on TV probably turned it off because it was just so slow. Kansas went into the double bonus with 9 minutes and 50 seconds left in the second half, and we went into it shortly thereafter. And it seemed like that was the longest 
10 minutes of a basketball game I have ever witnessed. And the reason was, it was because of the officiating. I mean, there is no other... They made so many calls, just questionable calls, that weren't being made in the first half. That's the problem that I have. In the first half of the game, Michigan State only had eight fouls. Eight. That's amazing, to not reach the double bonus in a half, especially for our team, where we're famous for committing fouls. I mean, our big men pick up fouls like none other. At the end of the game, we had 27 fouls in total. They called 19 fouls on us, and I think 18 fouls on Kansas in that second half. And I always say, referees have good games when you don't remember them. When you don't, if you don't know a referee's name, that's a good thing because that means they're not in the limelight. They're not taking over the game. I'm pretty sure everybody knows who was refereeing. It was Ed Hightower, and for years, everyone's known his name. Because he makes all those calls, all those questionable calls, and he, it seems like he just tries to take over games. Do you remember that call last year uh, against Wisconsin that Ed Hightower missed that lost us the Wisconsin game? It's, that's Do you what that? everybody refers to. I think it was in the Big Hightower. Ten tournament. Big Ten tournament. Yeah. Lost us the Wisconsin game. Lost us you know, a potential Big Ten tournament championship that Ed Hightower missed. It was an obvious foul, obvious call that just did not go our way. So, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know who was refing, but last year, Iowa and Penn State, two years ago or three years ago um, at Michigan, when we shot 10 free throws, they shot about 40. That was the game where Maurice Ager was fouled flagrantly by, um, what was the name? Oh, that's going to kill me. I forgot I his name. I can't think of it. Oh, okay. Never mind. Just, <laughs> I'll remember it. Okay. But, I mean... <laughs> I never like to blame officials for the outcome of a game, and this didn't affect the outcome. I mean, we still won, we held on, but it was just atrocious to watch. There was, I don't think throughout that last 10 minutes, there were more than 15 seconds of actual playing time put together. There was always a stoppage of play, and it's just not fun to watch a game when that happens. It's, it's ruining it when officials take it over and just make calls like that. I remember the name. It's Brent Petway. Oh, okay. Brent Petway, he fouled Maurice Ager, just took him to the ground. Maurice Ager had to come out and get checked out by the trainers, but there's no foul on it. They said that uh, Ager walked. or uh, No, they, I think they called it a jump ball on that, that they somehow, you know, were in a tussle for the ball. So absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But, I mean, I hate, I hate when officials – just take over games. Yeah, absolutely. And... Let them play. I think in the ACC, they're more lenient refs than the Big Ten. I think if you put Michigan State, a physical team like Michigan State, in the ACC, and you give them ACC refs, you know, a lot of that stuff, we wouldn't be fouled. We wouldn't have as which, many fouls. Which is surprising because it's no, it's well known that the Big Ten is more physical, and we grind out basketball games. You would think that they would let them play, and that's what I was excited. The first half, they were letting us play. I mean, Cole Aldrich, they're Power forward for Kansas, power forward center. He was let, being pushed around down they'll low. They let the bumping go. Yeah. They let it go. And, you know, a perfect example, you watch any UNC game, you know, a ACC conference game, I mean, Tyler Hansbrough just gets mauled inside. Oh, yeah. And, you know, rarely does he – he creates a contact himself. But if he just goes up straight like he did against Wake Forest a lot, you know, he comes up short, his shots miss, and no foul called. You know, and – 
it was a rare game for Hansborough last night because he had four fouls. He almost fouled out. He never does that. He's one of the smartest players, one of the more careful players in college. Definitely. We'll move on now. Away from college basketball, they're college, college football now. You've got a new national champion. On Thursday, Florida beat Oklahoma. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure who predicted that Florida would win. I can't. Oh, wait. It was me. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it was definitely me. You know what? There's always somebody who has to pick the underdog. You know what? <laughs> I would have looked like such a genius if I would have won and if Oklahoma would have won. I would look like such a genius. You would have. I would have, yeah. If they had won. You know, the big, biggest play of that game was the interception Florida made, just stripped it right out of the receiver's hands. That really turned the game, and Florida went down, scored it, made it a two-possession game, and it was just done. Let's say that. Or also the stop on Oklahoma had the ball down on the goal line. Third and goal from about the half-yard line. Florida stopped them on third down and on fourth down. And that was just huge. And they had another turnover, another interception, right down about the five-yard line in the red zone. Oklahoma was driving. The ball got tipped up in the air and juggled around, and Florida came down with it. But there were turnovers and, I mean, just timely plays by, made by Florida. Tim Tebow earned that national championship. You know, on two of those touchdowns that Florida just put together, they started backed up in their own territory, like inside the five-yard line, and it took two big-time plays uh, by Percy Harvin to put them in great field yes. position. One was from the two-yard line. He was a, It was a 47-yard gain. And you know, if he had been 100%, it would have been a touchdown. There are two times where Harvin got on the outside and you could tell he didn't have his breakaway speed. And if he would have, it would have been game over. Because he he had to stop and make cuts back. And I'm sure if he still had his 4-3 speed before his ankle injury... Yeah, he would have juked a lot more if he, his ankle was in good shape. Because he, there was a lot of times when he would just be a straight runner and try not to change change speed and you know juke to a different side. He still had... Percy Harvin, he's a wide receiver, but kind of a running back. They bring him around, hand him the ball a lot. He takes a lot of snaps from center. I mean, that's how they scored their touchdown. He ended up with 122 yards on the ground on nine carries. The other running back for Florida to go over 100 yards, Tim Tebow. He rushed 22 times for 109 yards. And in that fourth quarter, he basically put Florida, put the whole team on his back in that third and fourth quarter and just just took over the game. And like I said, he he essentially won it. Florida won the game 24-14. to 14. It was much more low scoring than everybody thought. I mean, the over-under on the game was 69.5 points. That's the betting line for how many points you think are going to be scored. You bet either more than that or less than that. Well, they only scored 38 combined. And yep. the game was tied late in that fourth, or early in the fourth quarter. Oklahoma tied the game at 14. And that's when they went. Florida and, went on those drives. You know, in Florida, basically that next possession punted, and Oklahoma had the ball, 14-14. And I was expecting Oklahoma to just, they were moving it. They were, they were moving the ball, and then Florida gets a turnover. Yep. So, and that changed the game right there. That seems to be kind of a theme to the whole weekend's football games, turnovers, how costly oh, they are. The I Carolina mean, Panthers. Oh, it I mean, was... Jake DeLome is the king of turnovers after that game. He, t- he takes the title from Brett Favre. Wow. 
we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah. Talk about playoffs in a minute. There's another game. Oh, and I'd also like to add in. We were at Buffalo Wild Wings watching the game. We were there with some other friends. They have the uh, quarterback pick'em plays where it's very hard to stay on top of that considering both teams run such fast-paced offenses. But I would like to say that I started the game late, late in the second quarter. I did win the whole second half picking the plays. I'd just like, just like to throw that in there. Do you want a cookie? I do. I would love a cookie right now for that. But it was fun, fun time. Good, good to watch the game. Cheer against Pavel there. See, he was rooting for Oklahoma. I cheered. I cheered for both teams. I was cheering for the good plays. And then Sam Bradford didn't have a bad game. Didn't have a great game. Um, about the same numbers as Tebow. Actually, he went twenty-six forty-one for two fifty-six, two touchdowns, two interceptions. But. Hey, those interceptions, that one big interception that really, you know, put the game away, he made a great pass, and yes. his receiver had it, and it just went right through his hands. So it was on the receiver to make that play, and he didn't get a good grip on the ball and didn't tuck it in when he was on well, the he way was down. Trying, he was trying to control it. He yeah. reached up with two hands and brought the ball in towards himself. He was trying to control it, and the safety just made a fantastic play. I mean, that's... I don't think you can credit, but still, it's not any on Bradford. It's nothing right. on Bradford. I mean, right. he made a perfect pass. If it was anywhere else, he'd be a clean interception. So at least he gave you know his receiver a chance to catch it. Right. But and then just the thing is, Tim Tebow, the plays that he made, the his interceptions weren't nearly as costly. They were early in the game, and when the time came, he stepped up and he ended the game on his famous jump pass touchdown where he fakes a run, jumps, and tosses it right over the line to the tight end right there. But it was a great game. And that was not that was not an easy throw. If you if you look at the like the scheme, like the the view, the camera view from the from behind Tebow, and you see it, he made a perfect pass because there were two defenders right there and he just like zipped it in there on his jump pass. So it was not an easy ball to get to that receiver. And then what I love is I'm not sure if you've heard the clip. Tim Tebow announced that he's coming back to Florida at their uh, championship at get the together rally. at the at the rally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was amazing. He was saying all his thank yous to the team, and, and then he's like, "Let's do it again. I'm coming back." He he made it sound like he was leaving almost. I was listening to it, and I was like, "Wow, it sounds like he's really just thanking all his coaches, thanking the fans, kind of saying his goodbyes." And I guess he turned away from the mic and was walking off the podium. Turned turned back and stepped up and said, "Oh, and one more thing." Let's do it again. I'm coming back. Now, what do you think about that? Should he have come back? Yes, definitely. I I love the decision. He can go for his third national championship in four years. I mean, that's unheard of. He can go for his second Heisman. I think he should have won the Heisman this year. Could have. He had the most first-place votes this year. He could win his um, third Maxwell Award for most outstanding player. I mean, I think that he is... One of the best college football players of all time. Obviously, you can argue Archie Griffin. You can argue Jim Brown, Barry Sanders. There's lots of other people, but he is easily top five. He comes back next year and has a season equal to this one. It's You'd be hard-pressed not to put him at number one. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, there's good and bad for, you know, pros and cons to him coming back or leaving. You know, I'm the person that's going to say, what if he gets hurt? You know, because he does run a lot, and, you know, he gets pounded. He gets physically abused when he runs the ball. I mean, they take their shots at him. So one shot, and that's it, you know. 
So he, his second national championship, he might have, he probably should have gone. He might have capped off, but he has, you know, a high risk for reward now. I mean, if he stays healthy, like you said, third national championship, another Maxwell, and he is with his parents, you know, being, you know, in the armed forces, and he's just, and he's so close to his religion. He's like an ambassador for Florida and for a lot of people who are watching him on a national level. So it goes beyond just him as a Florida Gator and as a quarterback and as one of the greatest football players on the field. It goes away off the field. And, I mean, I think of Tim Tebow. He is college football. He personifies college football. Exactly. I couldn't see him. I don't see him in the pros nearly as well. And there's also there's a lot of speculation that he'd have to switch positions, that people wouldn't want him as a quarterback. And he wouldn't be drafted very high right now. I think everybody can agree on that. Maybe a team takes a shot on him, but I doubt it. And also, he really wants to get his degree. He really wants to earn his degree, and which is very... Very good for him. I'm very impressed with that. And he's a year away. He's on schedule to get his degree in this year. So that's huge for him. I know that's big for his family. And like you said, all the work he does, everything. I mean, He does a lot of work for the community, for Gainesville, for just the whole country, for everybody watching him. Exactly. And I'm sure, I mean, it can only be better for him as a person coming back. Hey, you know, why wouldn't you come back? I mean, he's having so much fun. This is like the most fun he'll ever have. He's enjoying it. You get to the NFL, there's no day off. You know, the NFL is just everybody screaming at you, you have to do this. It's like boot camp the entire year. When you're not in the season, you're in training camp, in mini camps. You know, the NFL, you, you know, yes, you get to play a game you love, but college, there's no more fun than playing college football. Agreed. I mean, maybe for some other people, they see it differently. You're getting paid quite a bit to play football when you're in the pros. But we'll see. And the other thing is Florida could be returning all 11 starters on defense. The only one, they're not sure uh, if Brandon Spikes, their standout middle linebacker, he could turn pro, could leave early. Percy Harvin, we're still not sure. He's still debating. He's likely to leave, but he's going to see what happens after his ankle's healthy and see what he can do. There's another game back, lots of people probably forgot about it by now, is last Monday. I thought I picked it correctly, the Fiesta Bowl. Ohio State against Texas. I thought with my pick of Ohio State that I had it. Texas scores a touchdown very late with only a few seconds remaining. It was a blitz by Ohio State. It made a perfect pass to safety. Just, I don't know what he was doing, just did not make the tackle. Man, Texas has the flair for the dramatic. I mean, when they beat USC with Vince Young's touchdown right into the corner of the end zone, I mean, they like to do it dramatic. They like to do it do it really late in the game, the closing seconds, every time in the bowls, every time. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it, it crushed me. And Quan Cosby caught the pass, and he had an outstanding two game. And he had 14 catches for 171 yards and two touchdowns. Now, let me ask you this. If I would have told you that in order to win, Colt McCoy would have thrown the ball 53 times, or 58 times, what would you have said going into that? Say that he's going to throw the ball almost 60 times. I would say that Ohio State uh, has a pretty good game plan to defend the pass. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I didn't realize his numbers were nearly that high. He completed 41 passes for 414 yards and two touchdowns. But if I were to tell you that Terrell Pryor wasn't going to be taking snaps at quarterback but being a wide receiver i mean 
<laughs> I wouldn't believe that. You know, I Terrell Pryor cannot throw the ball downfield more than ten yards. And I, I don't like what they were doing. They were switching with uh Todd Beckman, putting him at quarterback and well, look what Beckman did when he came in, he really he was playing well. Five for twelve for one hundred and ten yards. I mean five completions, hundred and ten yards in those five completions. Yeah, that's not bad. And the touchdown pass was to Terrell, to Pryor, Terrell Pryor. Which he looked better you know as a what? wide receiver. He could be in the NFL as a wide receiver. Oh, I'm sure Absolutely. he's got the size, got the speed. Yeah, I mean Troy Smith was great at Ohio State being that mobile quarterback, but look where he is now. I mean, he's a backup for the Ravens. He's got an NFL job, but he's no he's no starter. He could have been the starter. He got sick at the beginning of the year. That's and, true. I mean the Ravens don't need a quarterback. I mean, Joe Flacco, not to take anything away from Joe Flacco, but they could... What do you do with Kyle Bowler now? I mean, he's he's done. I mean, the Ravens really, it's a system. They just need somebody to take snaps. I mean, Kyle Bowler's been doing a fan... Or, uh, excuse me, not Kyle Bowler. Joe Flacco. Flacco's been doing an amazing job there. I don't want to discredit him, but, I mean, they can use Trent Dilfer. Are we switching the NFL now? Not Not just yet. We'll be there in just a second. Now, okay, so Florida wins the BCS National Championship game. By rule, the coaches vote in the USA Today coaches poll. They have an agreement to vote for the winner of that game. Now, that would be Florida. Florida received 60 votes out of the 61. One vote went to Utah. Their own coach, Kyle Whittingham, voted for his own team, as the number one. And I like his argument because he said that they are the only team that they don't have to talk their way out of a loss. They went 13-0. They beat Alabama. They beat everybody on their schedule. In the final AP poll, Utah finished second. They had 16 first-place votes. USC finished number two in the USA Today poll, number three in the AP. They received one first-place vote. Then Texas is number four. Now, those four teams... I want to see them play each other. I want to see Florida prove that they're better than Utah. I want to see Florida prove that they're better than USC. Because, to be honest with you, I I think that Florida deserves the national championship. I'm not going to try to take that away from them. I don't think they can beat USC. So if you have four teams, okay, four teams as a playoff for the national championship, Florida, USC, Texas, Utah? Yes. So who would what would be the pairings? What would you do? Would you have Florida play Utah and USC play Texas? And Could, then the two I would I would play? go Florida versus Texas, Utah versus USC. Wow, I think USC would run all over Utah. We thought but the same you, thing about Alabama, but we we would never know. We'll never know unless there's a playoff. But let's say USC does just absolutely destroy Utah. You're gonna think, you know, why would why would we ever have that? playoff system you know utah they already earned their way in though they beat alabama i mean how can how can somebody say that usc isn't better than florida they never played each other to prove it and that's what i hate about the bcs i think sure you can be voted number one prove it prove that you're number one beat everybody and they haven't done that they beat oklahoma you know i think the big 10 we they get a raw deal because there's no conference championship and so a lot of the teams finish their seasons two weeks before you know the ACC and the Big East and SEC and these teams are playing two weeks longer than the Big Ten ever does and I I think that really has an effect on you know the Ohio State as far as their preparation they're off 
for a month and a half. And, you know, Alabama and Florida, they're playing well into, you know, the first week of maybe December or, like, last week of November. Yeah. So I think it really has an effect. And I think um, what was suggested is that you add another bye week, that you add another free week for the Big Ten and just push the last couple of conference games later into the year. Well, I think the Big Ten, really, they'd like to find a 12th team so they can make it even, split the conference up into two divisions so that we can have a conference championship game. Problem is finding that 12th team. People, Some people say Notre Dame, never going to happen. No, Notre Dame exactly would lose why. so much money. Notre so Dame, money. for Notre Dame to join the Big Ten, they would have to give up their contract with NBC, their broadcast mm-hmm. contract, and they're not going to do that. And all their bowl game money? They keep all the money that they earn. They've got an exclusive broadcast contract with NBC. Well, I'm just saying, yeah. if they go to a BCS Bowl, that whole payout goes directly to that school. Mm-hmm. The money that Ohio State earned for going to the Fiesta Bowl and Penn State earned for the Rose Bowl split equally amongst the 11 teams. Notre Dame would never do that. Never. And, I mean, there's other teams out there who I've kind of looked at. Cincinnati, maybe. I. It's a possibility. I don't know much about it iowa state would be another one but there's not too many teams out there that would fit in to being a big 10 i heard this from my mentor you know who that is jack Mm -hmm. um there was a while back a few years ago where call me crazy but rutgers was had a strong bid to join the big 10 because you know what rutgers they're in the big east and they are like the little stepchild of the big east they are 16 teams and they are never going to be competitive in that league. And you know what? I bet there are a couple of teams at the bottom of that Big East that are trying to get out because it's just way too competitive. I mean, I, absolutely. I mean, look at St. John's. They're in the Big East. You would never never even – how are they supposed to recover and, you know, have some great years when they keep, you know, winning three games in conference? Right. So St. John's used to be great, but how are they ever going to get back when <laughs> you have nothing to look forward to in a 16-team conference? Yeah, it's crazy. But, I mean, eventually down the, down the road it'll probably happen just because of the fact that we do get looked down upon because we don't have a conference championship. That's really the only way that we can is by adding another team. And to be honest with you, the team that's most like the Big Ten and would fit in the best is Texas. They are a land-grant university. They've got a huge student body. I mean, just like us, just like Penn State. I mean, they their style fits in well with the Big Ten, but, I mean, travel-wise, it's out of the question. That's way too far. And then they love the Big 12. But school-wise, academics-wise, they are the most like a Big Ten team. Or Big Ten school, excuse me. I'm trying to think. I mean, regionally, like in the Midwest – the only team that I could think that would fit would be like a, a Pittsburgh. You know, if we can go all the way to to a state college and play Penn State, then you know Pitt's closer. But Pitt would never do it because they're right atop the Big East. But Pittsburgh would be a great one, and it would really help the RPI, the you know the strength of the conference if you put a Pittsburgh in, who's great at football and basketball. That is very true. So Pittsburgh could be one. If the Big Ten, you know, could make an offer they couldn't refuse. And that would only reap benefits for the Big Ten Conference. So Pittsburgh would be my choice. If I was head of the Big Ten Commission, (laughs) the Big Ten Conference, 
I would really want Pittsburgh to join. Yeah, that sounds sounds good to me. I'll, I'll take you're, that. You're very agreeable with me tonight. I am. It's surprising. It's surprising. <laughs> it doesn't always happen that way, but you bring up some good points. You're listening to the Spartan Sports Rep here on the Impact 89 FM. He's Pavel. I'm Scott. Now we'll move on to NFL playoffs. Yes. No. I don't know. Okay, I predicted the Cardinals over the Falcons in the first round. But I would like to find somebody out there who predicted that the Arizona Cardinals, who had a losing road record during the regular season, would go all the way to the East Coast, where only one team from has won, traveling from the West Western time zone, Pacific time zone, to Eastern time zone during the regular season. Only one team won a game like that. The Arizona Cardinals travel from Phoenix to the East Coast to play Carolina in Charlotte. The Carolina Panthers, who were undefeated at home during the regular season. I'd like to find one person who predicted that win. I mean, the Cardinals beat the Panthers 33-13. to They jumped all over them. It- I mean, I left... I, I, I turned on the game at the beginning. You know, I saw the Panthers. They scored Panthers the first scored touchdown. Real fast. Yeah. They scored the first touchdown. I'm like, okay, you know, this is a sign of what's to come in the later in the game. I, you know, so I kind of turned it off. I, I think there was another game on I was watching. But I checked back maybe an hour later, 27-7. to 7. Yeah. I mean, the Panthers scored first, and they scored last. That was the only time they scored. The Cardinals scored 33 points in between that. And Jake DeLome could not buy a break. How many oh interceptions? Five. Five, Five interceptions, interceptions and, two and fumbles. a fumble. One, and one that one he fumble. lost. I mean, we were, I mentioned it earlier that the turnovers were a key in all these games. Six turnovers in one game. You, you can't come back from that. I mean, there's... I don't care who you are. You turn the ball over that many times, you're hard-pressed to... to score to take the lead i mean your defense has to go out on the field so many more times then but it wasn't just the panthers offense that was making mistakes uh could they get anybody on larry fitzgerald nobody can nobody can did you see that catch he made it was very reminiscent of the catch a week ago uh, yeah on double coverage the flea flicker that they scored on i mean Mm -hmm. larry fitzgerald makes uh, one of those catches every week and they predicted it all kurt warren's got to do is just throw it up there and, and the vicinity, and he's like a Randy Moss. He'll catch in double, triple coverage. Oh, yeah. And even this game was even without Anquan Bolton. Yeah. Anquan Bolton did not play because of his hamstring injury. So you'd injury. think they would uh, you know, pay a little extra attention to Larry Fitzgerald because Bolton's out. But nope. Larry Fitzgerald still got his yards. What did he get? 166, 166 yards. On wow. eight catches. And the, the crazier thing is, Arizona, a team that's famous for throwing the ball. I mean, Kurt Warner, no matter where he's been at, Always throws the ball tons of times. I mean, he, when he was at St. Louis, they were the greatest show on turf. They Absolutely. just lit it up. I, I mean, those days. Threw, threw the ball so much. And throughout the season, they threw the ball just ridiculous amounts of times. They ran the ball less than any other team. And this game, Arizona rushed rushed 43 times for 145 yards. Because they threw touchdowns and... You know, when they were well ahead, they didn't have to throw it anymore. They gave it to Edron James and Tim Hightower, and they would just rush the ball, and the Panthers could not stop them. I mean, Tim Hightower, every carry that he had would average about, you know, a first down on every carry almost. And 
conversely to that, Carolina, who we've been so impressed with their tandem of running backs, uh, Stewart and Williams, they rushed combined 15 rushes for 75 yards. Well, before they could even like blink, you know, before blink of an eye, the Cardinals were up 27-7, and the Panthers had to abandon the run. They had to get back quick, and so bye-bye running back tandem, you have to throw the ball. Steve Smith, Dwayne Jarrett, um, Dante Rosario. I mean, and Jake DeLone was just pressured, and the Cardinals could see it coming. They just locked down their secondary and got those interceptions. And now, now they're hosting they a, a game. game. They've Absolutely. Got a, it's been how many years since they hosted a playoff game? I, I can't remember. It was just a ridiculous <sighs> number. And the first round, they hosted a playoff game. First time in... Since they were the Chicago Cardinals. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I, it might have been when they were at St. Louis. 1970, no. I think it's been 20, 20, over 20 years. Now they've got two games. They host the Eagles, who, like I predicted, beat the New York Giants. Hey, I didn't say it on this show, but I did think the Eagles were dark yeah, we were in We the were NFC. in agree- agreement on that. The The Eagles took it right to the Giants, 23-11. to 11. The Giants, like I said, they really missed Plexico Bursts. They had three red zone opportunities, came away with field goals. With Plexico, that's an automatic red zone threat, automatic third down threat. And they even said, the GM and president of that team of the Giants said that they'll welcome back Plexico Burris if all the legal issues clear up. Oh, he has incredible talent. I mean, if he can just stay out of trouble, maybe he's he's learned his lesson. If he can get out of his trouble, I mean... He needs to realize he's got a kid, he's got a wife. I mean, he needs to clean up his act, and if he's lucky a team wants him because there's a lot of guys like like uh, Pac-Man Jones that teams don't even want anymore because they've gotten in so much trouble. Oh, so yeah. he's lucky. He's fortunate that the team still wants him. Oh, I'm sure. And in this game, Asante Samuel had another interception in the playoffs. I mean, this guy, well worth the money that Philadelphia spent to go and get him from New England. He took it back to the one-yard line. Couldn't take it all the way back this time. Brian Westbrook surprisingly only had 36 yards on 18 carries. For a while, he was in negative yardage. He did have a few catches, um, like always. Donovan McNabb had an okay game. Not not great, but enough to win it. Eli Manning just did not play well. 15 of 29, two interceptions. Yeah, you know, they got stuffed on two fourth down conversions. You know, one of them was a quarterback sneak. Did you see that quarterback sneak by Eli? Well, that quarterback sneak by Eli Manning, it was fourth and inches, and they sneaked it, and all Eli had to do was get low and just move the ball, advance it, pass the line of scrimmage, he'd get a first down. He basically almost nearly stood up, was standing up trying to sneak it in. He just, all he needed to do, they showed the replay, he just needed to get a little lower and go right under that that pack of people, and he would have got it, but he didn't. I mean... It was just absent-minded mistakes, and they just kept adding up, adding up for the Giants. And lots of people, I've heard people just dogging Eli now. That that guy cannot buy a break. He won the Super Bowl last year. He has no weapons on and offense right now. he led the right team now. to the number one seed in exactly. the NFC. I mean, you cannot take away, they're saying that he's overrated now and everything. Come on, I, I was a huge Eli hater back in the day, but now I give him all the credit in the world, and I think he is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Now, what's interesting is, earlier in the season, 
Week 13, Philadelphia beat Arizona. Not just beat them, but just crushed them. It was a Thursday night game, and it was the right the game right after Donovan got benched. Yes. And Donovan had five touchdown passes that day? Four touchdown passes. Four touchdown passes. Absolutely. Brian Westbrook also had four touchdowns. Time to tie a team record, two catching, two rushing. Just tore them apart. But it's a different story now, the game's in Arizona, where they have the home field advantage. I don't know who to take. I mean, Philadelphia's just on a roll. Not to say that Arizona's their defense came out of nowhere. Bertrand Barry just is on a mission. He's a man possessed. A defensive end for Arizona. And, you know, these two games coming up, I, I'm not even going to pick anybody because you know, I have no clue. This is, this is what Kurt Warner does. He gets in the playoffs, and he's a primetime performer. And there's nobody more confident than the Arizona Cardinals defense coming off six turnovers. I mean, that defense that is, that is, is going to look to fly around and really set a tone on the Eagles' de- on the Eagles' offense. And I think they're going to get a, going to want to hit Donovan. And I think they're going to be motivated by them getting absolutely torn apart in that last matchup. So I think the Cardinals are coming back with a vengeance. And I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not going to go against Kurt Warner. So I think I, I, I'm going to say the Cardinals. I'll take the Cardinals. And also, uh, Philadelphia doesn't have the best record in NFC Championship games. They get there get what's, there a lot. What's their record in warm games? No, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. That will be different. They're used to yeah, playing, absolutely. playing that game in cold weather. Especially but. in playoff games, they're used to that that brutal cold tundra. And now they're in the dome of the University of Phoenix yeah. stadium out there, <laughs> which actually is the online university. Yeah. People don't realize that. The other side, other side AFC, uh, Baltimore. Baltimore came away, beat the Titans. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Can't say that I am either, but, I mean, Joe Flacco, he he does the right things, and he throws a beautiful deep ball. I mean, he does exactly what they ask of him, and that's that's what we were talking about. Get him two touchdowns, and the defense will hold him. They they won 13-10. to 10. Now, on a drive that led to a touchdown late in the game, the, the Ravens were driving. It was third and two, and the play clock ran out. And it it was on zero for a little bit over a second. And they didn't call they it. Didn't call it. They, yeah. The referees did not see it in time, didn't call a penalty. Flacco completes a pass to the tight end, Todd Heap, for 20-some 20, 20 yards. Picked up a first down, went down and scored. I'm not sure if that was their field goal, their game-winning field goal, or if that was a touchdown drive. But, I mean, that that is like i said earlier it's a mistake referees are human they make a mistake there's always a delay because the back judge has to look up at the play clock then look down and see if the center is in motion hiking the ball and i i guess he didn't look down in time or wasn't paying quite enough attention but it should have been a delay of game moved it back to third and seven didn't cost the the uh titans the game directly but it sure didn't help them there you know, the big reason that Tennessee was so good all year was because of that brutal defense. They had one of the stingiest defenses, the best defense in the league, you know. And, you know, these last couple of weeks, their guys were getting really banged up. Albert Hainsworth was out. You know, he was kind of questionable. He did end up playing, but I don't know how much, how healthy he was. Their whole secondary was really beat up. So they were dinged up, and they were just out of it. And also, like like I said before, turnovers. The Titans had three turnovers in the red zone. I mean, that there's no way you can come back from that. And they had a ton of penalties against themselves. I remember Algie Crumpler caught a pass, the tight end, caught a pass from Kerry Collins, 
and was trying to pick up the first down, down around the 10-yard line. He got hit up in the air, lost the ball. Ravens recover. Now you've got the Ravens go into Pittsburgh and to play the Steelers, who just who beat the beat the Chargers easily. And I mean, they shut down Darren Sproles. Their defense had a big day again. This is going to be one of the lowest scoring games in playoffs. It's going to be probably about 20 degrees in in Pittsburgh because they play the late game. Now this team, both these teams played, or they played each other twice. Pittsburgh won both games. The first time in overtime. The second by four points on a touchdown. This kind of controversial. It's when Santonio Holmes caught a touchdown pass very, very late in the game with under a minute left. His feet were in the end zone. The ball, I don't think the ball was. They ruled it a touchdown. I'm not going to argue. They reviewed it, looked at it. Who do you have in this? Five to two. <laughs> I told you this you uh, at halftime of the Kansas basketball game. You did. Five to two. With and, the Steelers? Uh, Is that either right? way, either way, whoever gets the extra, whoever gets that field goal, they're both going to get a safety. Whoever gets that field goal, they'll win. I, I can't pick a I can't pick a winner because it's such a boring game. I'll be asleep. Yeah, it's, it's true. The, the defenses. I mean, man, I, I I don't know. It it'll be a battle. That's for sure. I think the only prolific offense left is the Arizona Cardinals, the one that's like just a high powered machine. That's the only high powered offense. The others have a defense. You know, the Eagles are just hot and cold with their offense. Oh yeah. But it it should be good. I've got Brandon is uh, sending me an IM here. He's going back to the Kansas game. One thing we left out about the referee and how terrible it was: the call against Travis Walton, that foul, phantom foul. Phantom foul. Sharon called three. Yes, and he's even saying apparently we couldn't see the replay. Collins's toe was even on the line. It should have been a two. I mean, I don't even think the Walton touched him. He jumped to the side oh, of he him. He backed off. He actually yeah. like almost put his arms up and said. You know, I'll give you that shot. Yeah. And then a couple couple of finishing notes here. We've got a bunch of coaching shifts. The Lions are still looking for a new head coach. We've interviewed Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator for the Titans, twice now. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the new head coach, and I like that. He used to, he's been a defensive coordinator for eight years at Tennessee. He used to be a pro and college scout. For the Cleveland Browns, which is what the Lions need. They need someone who knows the players. You've got Tony Dungy just retired today. Mm-hmm. Jim Caldwell's taken over for him. He was the associate head coach before. Uh, let's see. Uh, Josh McDaniels, 32 years Denver. old, hired out in Denver. Now, I don't like, I don't, there's not a good lineage of Bill Belichick assistants. You've got Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, who just got hired by the Browns, and Charlie Weiss. Three of them aren't doing too hot, so we'll see how that happens. Now, also one finishing note here. Uh, Sparty is going down to Nationals this weekend competing on Friday. I got a chance to watch his routine. Looks amazing. Love the work that he's putting in. And also the dance team going down to Nationals. I want to wish them the best of luck. Hopefully they can go down there, compete, do well. And Autumn, it's her last day engineering for us. Aww, thank, thank you for the work you did this semester. Thank you for tuning in, everybody out there. Look forward to Morris Peterson getting his re- jersey retired on Saturday. Tune back in next week. And we're week. retiring Autumn's jersey for the impact. <laughs> Not really. See you later.
You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89FM.